0: But we're in this series, and that's why you have your Bible to Luke 15 because the series is called The Way of Change. And uh, we're doing this series called The Way of Change. Here's the best way to catch you up. Uh, if you haven't been here, go online and check it out. Like, I encourage you to do it. In fact, I challenge you to do it because it's been a great series for us to go through together. We've said this it's not if change happens, it's when it happens, right? Change will happen. Some of you love it, some of you hate it. But we have kind of zeroed in on this. Some of you in the room call yourself a Christian. Not everybody does, and if you're here and you're like, I'm not a Christian, I'm just checking it out. I'm glad you're here. I really am. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad we're part of that investigation. But there's a lot of you say, I'm a Christian, right? And we said this, Christians have this weird relationship with change. They just do. Many of you have talked to me and said, this is so true. Some Christians have this relationship with change. They're exhausted trying to change right? They're just exhausted trying to make all the changes in their life they think they need to make. Other Christians, their dynamic with changes. they feel guilty because they can't change fast enough or good enough. And then there's some Christians, they're, they're guilty and they're exhausted so they just give up on changing, right? And so we've been looking at why in the world do Christians have this weird dynamic when it comes to change? And we said, here's the reason why, that a lot of Christians look at change like decorating a Christmas tree, they think that you pray to ask Jesus into your heart, which some of you know that lingo, it's not in the Bible, by the way, but, but they ask Jesus in your heart and then I do everything I can to decorate my life with being good and kind and I want God to be impressed with how good I'm becoming. I want others to be impressed and what happens is we decorate deadness when we do that. Jesus said that's not the way change happens. Jesus said that to be a follower of his, to be a disciple of his in John 15, change happens By producing fruit. Here's what he said. I'm the vine. This is Jesus. Y'all are the branches. If you remain in me, I in you, practice the presence of me, you'll bear much fruit. That's change. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Here's what Jesus is saying. Look here. He's saying, y'all focused on the outside of the branch. He said, I want you to focus on this end of the branch. Remain in me. Abide in me. Practice the presence of me. I want you to cultivate the relationship with me. And if you do this, fruit is produced, is what he says. And you show yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Now look at what he says directly after that. That's where I want to go today. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my, say the word aloud. my what? joy may be in you Jesus is like I'm telling you this so that my joy you tracking with me the joy of Jesus might be in us and that your say the word out Your what joy may be complete Jesus is saying this this whole conversation we're having is so that the joy of Jesus might be in us and that our joy might be complete everybody look here It's such an important conversation because many of you would say that's the very thing that's missing from my life. Some of you have been Christians a long time, like, man, I haven't had joy in a long time. Some of you are here this morning, I know this 100%, and you're like, I can't even remember what it's like to have joy. Some of you would say, I'm a really religious person and I have no joy. Some of you have a Charlie Brown Christianity, right? Some of you have an Eeyore faith, oh dear, the sky is falling, all that stuff, right? A guy named Billy Sunday, old preacher said this, I love it. He said, if you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I love that, right? Another guy said it this way, he said, an annoyed and joyless Christian is the devil's greatest billboard. It's interesting. Joe Aldridge said this, he said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness. Sounds like what Jesus said. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they're somber, when they're joyless, when they're self-righteous and smug in their complacent consecration or devotion, whatever word you want to use there, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. I personally like this cartoon. See if it can really... This guy's standing before St. Peter getting ready to go into heaven's gates and St. Peter says, you were a believer, yes, but you skipped the not being a jerk about it part about Christianity, right? <laughs> I relate with that, right? Here's the deal. Why do I put that up there? Because for some of us, some of us, don't raise your hand, joy is what's missing in your life. You ain't got no joy. Some of you are like, I had it, I lost it. And the reason you lost it is because there's things that can steal it, Amen. Things can steal our joy. Can we just talk about some of the things that rob us of joy? People rob us of joy. Anybody amen that? Don't look around, just amen it, right? People rob us of our joy. My kids would just behave, right? My wife would just this. My husband would this. My neighbors wouldn't this, right? People steal. Circumstances steal us of our joy. My health is bad, right? The weather is what it is. The news seems to always be bad. Circumstances can steal our joy, Unmet expectations will steal your joy. You're saying, what do you mean? Well, some of us are like, man, I got married and I thought it was all going to be a fairy tale. <laughs> well, I don't know what you're laughing about with that one, right? <laughs> Unmet expectations steal your joy. Amen. I thought we're going to have kids. It's going to be wonderful. I, I held that cuddly little whatever, you know, and they grew up and became a teenager, right? All of a sudden, right? You see, I got this job. I thought I was going to get promoted. Didn't happen. Unmet expectations. Can we say this? Ready? Lean in. I know y'all don't struggle with this, but I'll just confess it. Sometimes my consequences in my life can steal my joy. I know you don't struggle with that, but sometimes I can be a knucklehead. Anybody in the room can be a knucklehead? Raise your hand. I want to see who you are. rest of you, lying, right? That's a knucklehead move, amen, right? Yeah, and here's what happens. When I'm a knucklehead, right, When, when, when I do something, all of a sudden consequences, right? And so those consequences come all kinds of different ways. Debt piles up, relational chaos begins to happen. And then for some of us, can we just say this? Just doing life can steal our joy because just doing life, just doing life can get mundane routine. It can feel like Groundhog Day, can it? And sometimes it feels like all we're doing is just kind of punching the clock. Sometimes when we do life, it feels like we're just going through the routine of life. It reminds me of a story, I love it. It's written by a guy named John Ortberg. I love this in his book. His three kids and he had a custom of when they were really, really little, he would bathe them together. And here's what he says, one night he was bathing them together, Johnny, his son, was still in the tub, Laura was out, she was safely in her pajamas, and then there's Mallory. She was out of the tub, and I was trying to dry her off. Mallory was out of the water, but she was doing something that had become known in our family as the D-da-day dance. I love that, Right? This consists of her running around in circles, singing over and over again, dee-da-dee, dee-da-dee, dee-da-dee. It is a relatively simple dance, he says, expressing great joy. When she's too happy to hold it in any longer, when words are inadequate to give voice to her euphoria, she has to release her joy, so she does the dee-da-dee dance. On this particular occasion, John Ortberg says, I was irritated. Mallory, hurry, I prodded. So she did. She began running in circles faster and singing louder. D-da-day, d-da-day. He said, No, Mallory, that's not what I mean. Stop with the D-da-day stuff, he said, and get over here so I can dry you off. It was then that she turned and she looked at her father and she asked the all-important question: why? He said, I had no answer. I had nowhere to go. I had nothing to do. I had no meetings to attend. I had no sermons to write. I was just used to hurrying. I was so preoccupied with my own agenda, so trapped in this rut of moving from one task to another. He said that here was life. Here was joy. Here was the invitation to dance right in front of me. And I missed it. It reminds me of a passage we already looked at, Galatians 5. Can I show it to you real quick? It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, look here, that means this, the fruit of abiding in Jesus, that's all that means, the fruit of practicing the presence of Jesus, the fruit of embracing daily this relationship with Jesus, the fruit of that is, look what it says, love, we expect it, that... But the very next thing he mentions is this, the fruit of abiding with Jesus is, say it out loud, is what? Joy. The fruit of practicing the presence of Jesus, walking in the spirit, remaining in Jesus is joy. It reminds me of some things that some very important people have said. C.S. Lewis said this, joy is the serious business of heaven. John Ortberg says this, I love this, joy is the basic character of God. God is the happiest being in the universe. That will wreck some of y'all's view of God this morning. He's the happiest being in the universe. Lewis Schmeade said this. He said, to miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for my very existence. Why is this conversation important? Here's why it's important. Because my guess is in a room this size, there are some of us that have stopped doing the d da Day dance, spiritually speaking, Somewhere along the way, we've exchanged doing the D-D-Day dance of joy for the routine of life, for punching a clock, for going through the motions. And you know what happens over time? We stop doing the D-D-Day dance and we start going through the motions and then anybody who comes into our life who happens to be doing the D-D-Day dance, they irritate the snot out of us. Can I get an amen on that? So that's why this morning I want to talk to you about this. I want you to write it down this way and I'm going to tease it out. i want to talk about the way of change. That's our series. By practicing the presence of Jesus through this something called celebration. Word chosen on purpose, by the way. Through something called celebration. You came on a good Sunday morning because I want to talk to you about celebration this morning. Begs a question: Well, how do I remain in Jesus? How do I abide in Jesus? How do I walk in the Spirit in a way that celebrates, in a way that produces joy? I want to spend the next twenty minutes or so talking about that, and here's how I want to do it. I want to answer three questions: What does Jesus have to say about celebration? We got to start there because He has something very important. There's a chapter in the Bible that is all about celebration, that Jesus was the one who was teaching interesting to me. Number two, I want to do this. Why is it so important and what is it? What is celebration? We've got to get our head around what's celebration. It sounds like such a word that has so many different things we could put to it. What is celebration according to what God has to say? And why is it so important for you and I, particularly as we follow Jesus, which leads to the third thing. I want to give you some really practical things. How can you begin to do that? I want to give you things you can do right now. I want to give you some suggestions as to how you can begin to celebrate. But I want to begin here. And this is where I think it's important that if your kids are with you just know I gave you a warning heads up because when I think about what Jesus had to say about celebration, I think of a story that I absolutely love that I came across. It's a story that's told by a pastor, a writer, an author, a speaker, a Christian speaker whose name is Tony Campolo. And Tony Campolo was doing a conference in Hawaii. And so he flew to Hawaii to do this conference. It just so happened, he was headquartered in Philly, so in flying to Hawaii, by the time he got there, his body clock was off. And so that very first night in Honolulu, Hawaii, he laid in his bed and he could not sleep and his stomach began to growl. He began to, the only thing he could think of was bacon and eggs, and so he got up and he began to walk the streets at night, three o'clock in the morning of Honolulu, looking for some bacon and eggs. There was only one place open, It was a hole-in-the-wall diner. He walked into the -the hole-in-the-wall diner. There was a fat guy behind the counter, said, what can I do to help you? He said, I'd like some bacon and eggs. But after he said that, he's like, I'm not sure I want to eat them here. Can I just have a donut and some coffee? He sat and he began to talk to the owner of the diner. They were the only ones in there. And then all of a sudden, at about 3.30, the door opened. You could hear the bell. And in came eight or nine Of the most provocative people he had ever been around, eight or nine prostitutes who had just finished their night of work. They sat down at the diner all around Pastor Tony. He felt very uneasy thinking, how can I quickly get out of this situation? So they began talking to each other. Sitting beside him was one of those prostitutes whose name was Agnes. Agnes looked at her friend who sat on the stool beside her and Agnes said, did you know tomorrow is my birthday? Tomorrow I turn 39. Her friend looked at her with some snark in her voice and said, what do you want me to do for you? Do you want me to throw you a party? Do you want me to bake you a cake? To which Agnes looked at her and said, you don't have to be so mean. I just wanted you to know, I don't expect you to throw me a party or bake me a cake. Why would I expect that? I've never my entire life had a party and I've never my entire life had a birthday cake. That's all Tony needed to hear because as Tony sat in the stool, he decided to wait and he waited until all eight, nine of those prostitutes left and it was just him, the chubby guy behind the diner and the person in the back and that's when an idea came to Tony. He looked at the chubby guy behind the diner and he said this, he said, hey, I have an idea. Did you hear that it's Agnes's birthday tomorrow? Harry, the owner of the diner said, I did. He said, can we throw a party for her tomorrow? Right here in this diner. Harry looked at him and said, that's a great idea. He said, I'll bake the cake Pastor Tony said, I'll get the decorations. They hollered in the back was Harry's wife, said, we're gonna throw a party for Agnes. She said, that's wonderful. She's had such a hard life. Harry set out to get word out into the streets of Honolulu to let everybody who did what Agnes did know there was gonna be a party. 2.30 came the next day, 2.30 in the morning. And at 2.30 in the morning, it seemed like every prostitute in Honolulu showed up at that diner. In came Pastor Tony with a big sign that said, happy birthday, Agnes, with crepe paper and all kinds of decorations, and there was the cake, and they weighed it with bated breath. At 3.30, the door opened, the bell rang, and in came Agnes with one of her friends. At that moment, right on cue, everybody screamed, happy birthday, Agnes! And Agnes's mouth dropped open. Agnes's knees buckled. Agnes's eyes welled up. She looked at her friends and the people in the diner. She said, I can't believe this is happening. She looked at the cake that was made in her honor. And Harry, in a moment of uncomfortability, said, come over, Agnes, and blow the candles out. And she blew the candles out. And then Harry said, quick, quick, cut the cake. And Agnes said, Harry do you mind if we don't cut the cake? Would you be offended if we don't cut the cake? And then Agnes looked at Pastor Tony and said, would you mind if we don't cut the cake? Would you mind if I take the cake home? I only live a few blocks away. She said, I've never had a birthday cake. She said, I'd like to take the cake home so that I could enjoy looking at it for a little bit. Everybody said, that's great, Agnes, this cake is yours. She stood up from her stool, she held the cake high like the Holy Grail, and she walked out. The door closed behind her, and you could hear this ominous silence in the diner. Pastor Tony, Harry, and a room full of prostitutes. Nobody knew what to say. As so at that point, Pastor Tony said, hey, how about we pray? Nobody disagreed. Pastor Tony stood and there in that room full of prostitutes, he prayed for Agnes. He prayed for her safety, for her health, that she would know God's goodness for her and that she would respond to God's goodness. When everybody opened their eyes, Harry, a little bit irritated, looked at Pastor Tony and said, hey, you didn't tell me you was a preacher. And I said... Pastor Tony said, I am. He said, I don't believe you. What kind of church are you a preacher at? Pastor Tony said, I'm a preacher at a church that would dare throw a party for a prostitute at 3.30 in the morning. To which Harry said, there ain't no way you're a preacher at a church like that because if a church like that existed, I'd go to a church like that. You see, when I tell that story, I can almost see your reactions. And I think it was the very same reactions that Jesus would have had when he told the story in Luke 15. Because in the audience, as Jesus told the story, were sinners and saints. In the room were people who were the immoral outsiders, and those who were the moral insiders. And as Jesus gathered this very, very eclectic group together, he began to tell a story, actually three stories in Luke 15. By the time he got down to verse 11, he begins to tell a story to this group of people in the audience are the religious leaders and in the audience are the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And he begins to tell each of them how, listen close, how, are you listening? How you and I and they can miss the celebration. Because some of you, look here, are missing the celebration this morning. And the story that he has in Luke 15 is for you. Tells about a dad who had two boys, (laughs) dad was wealthy. He had an older boy and a younger boy. Some of you know the story. The younger son came to his father and in a moment of seeking freedom says to his dad, give me my share of the inheritance. That doesn't quite hit our ears like it would of the original audience because literally what he was saying to his dad was this, I want what you can give me. I don't want a relationship with you anymore. He was in essence saying to his father, you know something, I wanna live the rest of my life as though you were dead. He was saying to his father, I'm looking for celebration and I assume it's as far from you as possible. And So if you know the story, the dad graciously, even generously, liquidates his life, the word is, liquidates his life and gives the younger son his share. If you have your Bibles open, that's where the story gets interesting because verse 13, that younger son, not long after that, got together all that he had. He liquidated everything that he had. He had a big wad of cash. That's how you need to think about that. And he set off for a distant country. He got as far away from his dad as he could. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Let your mind go wild because that's what they want you to do. That's what Jesus wants you to do. He got everything together that he had. He had this big wad of cash and he decided, I'm gonna live life full throttle. I'm gonna live life full throttle. I'm gonna pay every check in every bar, wild sex, lots of stuff. I'm gonna live it up. The younger son assumed to himself that celebration in my life is gonna be found as far from the father as I possibly can get. And then verse 14 happens, and after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. The bottom dropped out, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself. He went from freedom, a big wad of cash, to hiring himself out to a foreigner, to a citizen of that distant country. And remember the Jewish audience that Jesus is talking to who sent him to his fields to feed his what? Pigs. He could not, he could not have said anything that was more degrading than that, that this guy went searching for celebration and finds himself in a pig pen. Not only that, but in the pig pen, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He was jealous of the pigs. Why is Jesus telling this story? Why is he doing this? This story that he's telling is not simply meant to be entertaining, my friends. It's meant to be experienced. And the reason he's telling this story is because many of us, that's our experience when it comes to God. We live life in a way that we want and love what God can give us apart from relationship with God. We live life as though God was dead and not existent. And we assume that celebration is as far from God as we can get so that we can live it up, do it our way, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And the point Jesus is making is simply this. Looking for celebration apart from God ends in slavery. Not celebration. It ends in slavery. The guy is literally jealous of the pigs. Some of you know the story. Because right around verse 17, it says that in the middle of this pig pen, covered in pig poop and sweat, hungry, hungry, this guy begins thinking about life at home and he comes to his senses and he begins to form this dialogue. He rehearses it in his mind, this dialogue that he's gonna have because he begins to think, you wanna know something? Even my dad's slaves have more to eat than I do. I think what I'll do is I'll humble myself, tail between my legs and go back to my father and say, dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. I screwed up but if I could just be one of your slaves, at least I'd have something to eat. So the boy determines after he rehearses this in his mind to head back to his father. The scene is fascinating in verse 20. Look at what it says. But while he, the young boy was still a long way off. Listen close, some of y'all are a long way off from God this morning. Some of you in this room are a long way off from God. In an effort to find happiness and joy, you've run a long ways from God. While this boy was a long way off, his father saw him. God sees you this morning. Some of you are like, I know he doesn't. He must be angry. Look, the father sees him and was filled with what? Say the word out loud, was filled with what? Compassion for him. The dad hops off the porch and he runs to his son. He throws his arms around the stinky, sweaty, poop-covered son and he begins to kiss him repeatedly. The son said to his dad, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. He was right. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He was right. Verse 22, you can't miss it. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Don't miss the picture. This kid is covered in sweat and grime and dirt and pig poop. And the father says, Cover that boy up with the best robe we have. The dad says, Go get the family ring and put it on his finger. You know what he was saying? Give him the family credit card. He says, He's barefoot. Don't leave him barefoot. That's the way a servant would run around. Give him shoes. Get him some sandals. That's my boy. And you know that fatted calf that we've been fattening up for that special occasion? Go kill it. Go kill it. Because we're going to have a party. As you look at it, it says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's, what's the word in yellow? What's it say? Say it out loud celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Guys, do you see what's going on? I want you to get this. This kid turned his back on the father in order that he could find celebration in life and he ended up in slavery. When he came to his senses, he humbly, contritely, decided I'm going to go back to my father. And I think when I go back to my father, I expect to find slavery. And he finds celebration. What's the point? I want you to write it this way. Celebration in my life begins by accepting God's invitation to his party of grace. God is throwing a party of grace The picture is that God is the father waiting to jump off the porch. Some of you are so far from God. Your life, the bottom has fallen out. You are now jealous of different things in your life. You are covered in the stench of your decisions and you're like, I don't know if I could ever, ever show up in the presence of God and yet he is waiting on the porch to jump off the porch to run and embrace. He's waiting for you to say yes to his invitation of grace. He's waiting to come covered, your stench-filled life with the robe of Christ's righteousness. He's waiting to call you son and daughter. He is waiting for you to turn, to say yes. There is a celebration that you're missing. But the story's not done. Do you see what it says, verse 25? Meanwhile, oh, that's key in your Bibles, Meanwhile, the older son, you remember him, was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the celebration, the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? The servant said, your brother's come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him just like he did with the younger boy. The father went out to him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Everybody look here a second. You notice he didn't say all these years I've been your son. All of a sudden in his mind, the son had become a slave. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've been devoted Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could, there's our word celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home who squandered your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. Guys, do not miss this because the older son out in the field comes in and hears the celebration. The servant says, we're celebrating your younger Brother is home, and instead of joining the celebration, he stands outside of the celebration. He stands, he didn't leave. He didn't turn his back on his father. He stayed, and yet he missed the celebration. Everybody look here. Some of you are like, man, I am the most moral person in my family. I am the most well-behaved person in my workplace and yet if you were honest you're missing the celebration just like the older brother what's the point? I want you to write it down this way and let it just kind of percolate your religious devotion apart from relationship with God leads to slavery not celebration there are two ways this morning that you can miss the celebration of God one is like the younger brother self-indulgence I'm going to just run as far away from God as I can but the other is self-righteousness Where all of a sudden your devotion to God becomes a duty, not a delight. Where all of a sudden grace stops being amazing. When all of a sudden judgmentalism begins to creep in. The father says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Why? Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and it's found what's the father saying he's saying celebration in my life continues by enjoying God's constant presence and grace in my life we got to make sense of this my friends Because some of you this morning are missing the celebration because you've turned your back on anything that might have to do with God because you're like, I want freedom. I want what I want when I want it. And that's when celebration's gonna happen. I'm gonna do it my way. And it ends in slavery, a celebration. But there are a whole host of you that are missing the party, not because of self-indulgence, but because of self-righteousness. And what happens over time is our devotion, apart from enjoying the incredible presence of Jesus in our life, makes us grumpy, makes us critical, makes us judgmental, makes us stodgy. And we stop doing the D-da-day dance of joy. story helps me understand a little bit about what celebration truly is, and I got to show you a couple of things and then we're done, but some of these things aren't going to be easy. I'm just going to be honest with you. I think we've got to answer the question, what is celebration and why is it so important? I think the place to begin is what is Celebration. And I wanna show you two verses that a guy named Paul uses, and you can write these down, look them up on your own. We'll throw them on the screen. He uses this word, rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. It's like, in case you didn't hear me, I'm gonna say it again. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Everybody look here. I don't know how you read your Bible, but sometimes we can read the Bible and we can have this fair, like that sounds trite, doesn't it? It sounds like a bumper sticker, but it doesn't sound like a real life mantra. Do you hear what he said? He said, rejoice in the Lord when? When did he say rejoice in the Lord? What did he say? Is there anybody in the room, I mean, maybe I'm alone, that wished he hadn't uh, included the word always? (laughs) Like, I'm all about rejoicing in the Lord. Like, I can do that. It's the always part that catches me. You know what he's saying? Mike, you're gonna have to stay with me back there. You know what he's saying? He's saying, celebrate always. Look here a second. I'm talking to him. You look here. He's saying, celebrate always. That's what he's saying. Why? Because the Lord is near. Celebrate the presence of the Lord in your life. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I see a lot of young adults in the room. You wanna know God's will for your life? Rejoice always. Celebrate always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. There's God's will for you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Dan, how does this tell me what celebration is? Here's what I want you to write down. Here's the sentence, and then we're gonna fly. I'm gonna show you some application. Celebration is rejoicing in the presence of Jesus in a way that produces the fruit of joy in my life. Listen close to what I'm saying. Celebration is not a cheesy Cheesy smile I put on my face. How you doing? I'm great. I'm a Christian. You know, that's not what it is. But celebration is rejoicing in the presence of Jesus in my life in a way that produces the fruit of joy in my life. So how does that begin to look? How do I begin to do that? Why is that so important? Well, I look at what Luke chapter 10 says in verse 20, and it says this. However, I don't want you to rejoice that spirits submit to your name. But he says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't miss this. Jesus is talking to his disciples and they come back and they're like, hey, Jesus, isn't it cool? Even the demons are listening. That sounds cool, right? The demons are listening to us. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what's cool. You know what's cool? Rejoice that you've been invited to the party. You see, I want you to write it this way. Say yes to Jesus' invitation to celebrate his grace in salvation. Some of you would sit here today and you're like, I am a long ways from God. I am a long ways from God. And some of you are sitting here today and you're like, I have so much stink on my life from the decisions that I've made. And and you're sitting in the pig pen of your decisions. You're like, there is no way. I don't know that there's any way. How could God ever love me And I want you to hear me say this. Listen close. God is inviting you to his party of grace. And celebration starts by saying yes to Jesus. And you wanna know what happens the minute that happens? Listen close. A party breaks out in heaven. Look at what it says in Luke 15. Luke 15 says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, listen close, listen close group. There are some of you in the room that thousands upon thousands of angels are waiting with bated breath. They're waiting with bated breath for God to say, they said yes, party's on in their name. And some of you have never done that. You're religious, but you've never said yes to Jesus. And the angels in heaven and the Son of God, Jesus Himself, are waiting to throw a party in your name at this moment. And that's where celebration begins. You see, I think it begins with celebrating salvation, celebrating other salvation. There are some of you that say, Well, Dan, I'm a Christian. I've said yes to Jesus. Remember what Paul said? He said, celebrate, rejoice when? Always. And if we were honest, a lot of us in the room say, I can celebrate when everything's going my way, the kids cooperate, work's going fine, and Aiden plays all my my favorite songs, amen? But it's a different thing when my marriage isn't going the way I want it. It's a different thing when work isn't cooperating. It's a different thing when the health isn't quite what I was hoping. he says rejoice in the Lord always and here's the deal listen close some of us say I've said yes to Jesus but you've turned into listen close I want to say this with kindness an older brother and you're missing the party and the joy is gone and you've stopped celebrating you're saying how in the world do I know if I'm an older brother can I give you four questions to ask yourself we're not going to go very far in each of them because they're going to be the next couple weeks what we're going to talk about But these are four questions. You gotta write them down. I think some of them are gonna be hard. The first one is this. Am I able to celebrate when hard times come to me? Am I able to celebrate? Remember, celebrate isn't like, I'm glad it's hard right now. Celebration is rejoicing that the Lord is with me, that I am a recipient of his grace and his blessing in my life and that his presence is always with me. James puts it this way. I want you to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish at work so that you may be mature and complete. Guys, do you know what it means to be mature and complete? Do you know what it means? It means to be like Jesus. And sometimes it's the hardest times in my life. You just trust me if you've not been through some, it's the hard, you going through some tough stuff in your life, sometimes it's the hardest times that push me into Jesus in the most profound ways. Some of you are in a hard time right now and he's like, yeah, I know. I want you to rejoice. I'm here with you and you're gonna know me in a way that you did not know me before. Oh, well, there's a, there's a second question I think that's equally as hard for some of us. Am I able to celebrate when good times come to others? For some of us, quite frankly, that's just as hard if not harder Romans 12 says this, rejoice, celebrate with those who celebrate. Here's what happens when I begin to live as an older brother and begin to live religiously devoted to God, apart from enjoying the relationship with Jesus and the practical relationship of his presence in my life. All of a sudden, when somebody else, things start going good for them and it's not so good for me, I begin saying, God, that's not fair. It's not fair that things are good for them and it's not for me because I demand that you do my life on my terms. And then I sound a little bit like an older brother who's missing the party. I sound like an older brother who totally has minimized the incredible grace of God, that's been showered around my life. I think there's a third question. And I think the third question is simply this. Do I celebrate the presence of Jesus in response to my own sin? That one sounds funny. But the fact of the matter is, for a younger brother, when they sin, it's like, man, that's where the celebration's at. But for an older brother, what happens is I begin to minimize my sin That's not that bad. It's not as bad as that dude, you know? Begin to compare, justify, rationalize my sin. What it means to celebrate the presence of Jesus in response to my sin is when my sin, when I sin, I can celebrate his presence by coming before him and realizing that there is a savior waiting to forgive if I will just confess my sin. When I stop confessing my sin, I stand outside the celebration. And I begin to minimize the grace of God. Some of you are here this morning and you are so focused on the sin of everybody around you. For some of you, it's your husband, it's your wife. You are so focused on their sin that you've stopped celebrating the presence of God in your life in response to your own sin. David, when he sinned, we won't look at this slide, but he said this in response to his sin. I've sinned against you, God. Will you, God, please return to me the joy, the celebration of my salvation? I want to practice your presence in response to my sin. Everybody look here. Are you with me? Shake your head, are you with me? Because I think I'm going to go somewhere you don't want to go. you with me? I think there's a fourth question. I'm going to talk about it in a couple weeks. I don't think you're all gonna like it. But I think the fourth question is, do I celebrate the presence of Jesus when others sin against me? When others sin against me, I gotta ask myself, what's the reaction? How the heck do I celebrate the presence of Jesus when people hurt me? Dan, you don't know what they've done to me and I probably don't. And yet Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always as he sits in a prison cell as he sits in a Roman prison, he says, celebrate in the Lord always. How in the world do you do that? How do I celebrate the presence of Jesus sitting in a Roman prison when I am there? Unjustifiably. The same guy wrote this in Ephesians 4. He says, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Did you know you could do that by the way you live? Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. That's descriptive of somebody who stands outside the party, standing outside of the celebration. Instead, be kind to each other. Come on in. Tender hearted. Come on in, forgiving one another. Why would we do that? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And you begin to celebrate the presence of Jesus, even in response to what other people have done to you. You see, I think this idea of celebration is so important. It begs this question, and I'm gonna give you four or five suggestions. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna be done. No emotional plea, no song. There's gonna be people at the front willing to pray with you. If at the end of this, you're like, I just need somebody to pray with me. I don't even like what he said, but you need to pray for me today. You come, they're they're, they're gonna be here. Like when we dismiss, they're gonna be here. You want somebody to pray with you. But how can I begin to do this? How can I begin to practice celebration? Let me give you some suggestions. Here's the first one. I would begin by saying yes to Jesus. Some of you have never done that. Why not today? Why not today? Some of you come to church, but why not say yes, Jesus? I want to begin that personal relationship with you today. Once you do that, I would say, celebrate your decision with baptism. If you've said yes to Jesus, never been baptized, why not? I'll baptize you today. See, See you afterwards. We'll baptize you next service. I'm not kidding. Like, if you're like, I've said yes to Jesus, I'm saying yes to Jesus, I wanna get baptized. You come see us afterwards. Come talk to us afterwards. Baptism is a celebration. What these four did it's like, woo, it's a celebration. It's grace. I think I'd invite others to the celebration of grace. You know, one of the things that tell me that I might be becoming an older brother is I stop telling other people about the party of grace. I stop inviting people to this party of grace that God's throwing. When's the last time you've prayed for the people in your life who don't know Jesus? When's the last time you've shared it? Maybe you're standing outside the celebration. I would put this number four, make corporate celebration a priority. This is not a preacher telling you to come to church, by the way, but statistics say that the average that somebody who calls himself a church attender goes to church is one out of four Sundays. I would say make it a priority because here's what God said. Don't give up the habit of getting together. Why? So that you can encourage each other, so you can spur each other on. These are public Jesus celebrations. This is what we do together. A week from Tuesday, we're going to celebrate communion. You know what that is? We're going to celebrate what Jesus did, what he's going to do, and what he is doing. Come. I want you to come. Celebrate. And then I would say this. Make personal celebration a habit. Make it a habit in your life. Choose joy. The act of rejoicing in the presence of Jesus, and it's hard right now, then the act of somehow rejoicing that Jesus is with you in that hard time produces the fruit of joy. And the fruit of joy begins to look a lot like Jesus. And he said, I want you to practice the presence of Jesus so that my joy may be in you. So God, we're done. I can tell by the feel of the room that there are some people just struggling with joy. And God, forgive us for not celebrating. Some of you have never said yes to Jesus. Why not right there in your seat right now? Do not miss this moment. He is waiting to throw a party in your name. And you can say, yes, Jesus, I trust you as my savior and Lord this morning. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died in my place for my sin. Please forgive me. I wanna follow you with my life. There are some of you that maybe prayed that. I'd love to hear from you somehow. If not today, email me, call the office. Somehow let us know. There are some of you, though, that you would say, I'm a Christian, and if you were honest, you're standing outside of the party of God's grace. You are an older brother. You're an older brother, and you're missing the celebration. And so our prayer this morning for us older brothers in the room, Father, is that you would help us to respond to you, the one who comes to us and says, I want you to join the party to begin to find, recognize, acknowledge, embrace, and follow the presence of Jesus, whether times are hard or easy. In our own sin and when others sin against us, forgive us for missing the celebration. We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.